0: more knowledgeable now than Einstein just by having a Google here in front of me.
1: Welcome to the uptime punks. This is Paul Hammer speaking together with Tim Shono, and we're glad to have you guys on board again for another. Well, another adventure, I would say
2: this time it takes us to a lovely island. To the lovely place called Ireland. Um, yeah, it's the second language speaking episode. Um, so guys, if you want to jump on uh, the third one or the fourth one or the fifth one, get in touch and you might be on a call with us very soon discussing the tech and data center industry. Um, today's, today's episode, uh, I think, has uh, become quite long because we talked about so many subjects with uh, our guests. Gary Connolly, and uh, you see later who he is and what he does. But I, for myself, what I've learned is the interesting way he actually looks at data and what it is and how data centers are participating in transforming electrons to data. That's, That's the gist of it, isn't it, Paul?
1: Yes, and it was really great because he was speaking also about how data centers are the beating heart of the ecosystem and the society we live in. But anyways, we don't want to take too much away. Um, We hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and yeah, talk to you in a bit. Welcome to the Uptime Punks. I have a very special guest with me today, Gary Connolly, um, the man from Ireland. He believes to be Bavarian, but he's an Irishman. How are you, Gary? You all right?
0: Doing really well today. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. It's great.
1: Yeah, so um, it took us a while to get you on board, busy schedules and everything, but we're really happy to have you here. Um, Like a true Irishman, he's sitting in front of a green background. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Me and my green screen buddy, we're spending a lot of quality time together.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, So, Gary, I have a few questions for you. This is what we normally do here at the Uptime Punks. We try to get you a little bit warmed up before we throw you, like we say, in the pit with the lions. Yeah. All right. Um, So, tell us, what was your first mobile phone?
0: Yeah, I guess um, that would have to be the Motorola flip phone. It was the size of a brick. It lasted about an hour when you plugged it in. But honest to God, it was super cool because you felt like you were on the scene of Star Trek. It flipped out, and you felt like you had to say, beam me up, Scotty. Um, but, yeah, that was it. Um, definitely one of the – it was a, such a wonderful phone also because I, I on two occasions, getting into the fo- my car, I put the phone on the roof. I drove at least 10 miles, and the phone was still on the roof. So that gives you a sense of its size.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was It was Thomas who mentioned last time, one of his first mobile phones, it was like you have to get a donkey caravan to carry it around with you behind yeah, you. But... <laughs> yeah, no, you, definitely,
0: you, you couldn't charge the car and the phone at the same time. That was for sure.
1: <laughs> and what was the first experience for you with a computer? I mean, you didn't just fall into a, a data center in Ireland, did you? No.
0: Um, my first experience of a computer, I would have to be uh, first day in college, 2000, no, not two thousand nineteen eighty four, 1984, the digital PDP-11 RISTIS system. So what does that mean? You had to wait for the microprocessor to come around. It was a real-time resource sharing system, probably cost millions, and you would, ha- you would have to wait for your cycle. That would be and our, our, um, our code all went on standard cassette, cassettes that you put into your radio. And if you drove by, if you wanted to get away with uh, saying you didn't get your uh, project in, you just made sure you drove by a very large magnet on the back of a truck and it would wipe it. It was great. It was the best one. <laughs> it, was like, it was like the modern version of the dog ate my schoolwork.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so w- what so you you said, okay, you said in college and university you was your first contact with computers. Is that what got you into the industry or I mean yeah. how how did you become to be who you are today, the president of uh, host in Ireland? I mean, is
0: well, you know I'm sure a lot of people say a lot of luck, but but ultimately what I wanted to to uh, uh, be was believe it or not. I actually was quite a. I saw a lot of appeal in being a programmer, so I, I thought this COBOL thing was going to be the future. So I went and I went to college and I. But I have to say, uh, and I've said it many times, I was the worst programmer that God ever put on this earth. Absolutely useless. I couldn't. I, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do all the detailed coding and testing and stuff. And so I I learned early on that I was useless at a programmer. However, because I was so useless as a programmer, it allowed me to learn the types of people programmers are. And I then realized early on when I came out of college that uh, programmers are brilliant people and engineers are brilliant people. But they, 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 we, you, we all have our skills, and sometimes the right side of their brain or the left side of their brain is more active than the other. And I found that, that if you put engineers in front of the – if they're the solution in front of problems, sometimes the two worlds don't communicate because they're, they're more interested in the micro aspect, and this guy has a problem, and it's at the macro aspect. So I found myself not knowing uh, that I could be the salami in the middle of the sandwich that I understood what the programmers sorta were doing. And I, I had, uh, maybe I was better at the communication skills. So that, that really was what I did. And I was lucky that I found myself coming out of college at a year where the personal computer was starting to become the thing. Mainframes, mini computers were, were expensive. They were large, they were restricted to so many companies, but this personal computer with its dual floppy disk and a monochrome monitor that was just like your latest uh, mobile phone. It was marvelous and the capabilities that it had. So that was that was how I, I, I thought I wanted to be a programmer. I realized I was absolutely shit, but I realized then that the world I was getting into ha- was full of problems with great engineers that couldn't communicate with people that had the problems. So guess what? I'm a born systems integrator.
1: (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you've done quite well for yourself, I would say. Um, So, of course, the the podcast is called Uptime Punks. So we ask everybody the same stereotype question. For yourself, how would you define uptime? What is uptime to you? I start
0: with the person who's going to pay the wages, which is ultimately the end user, (laughs) you know, Uh, and it's same level of service all the time, anywhere, irrespective. Our job should be to make sure, or our collective connectivity and all the rest should be to make sure that the end user's experience is the same, irrespective of geography, irrespective of device, irrespective of platform. And that is really where I start. And then we work our way back from that, and we see, um, OK, It's great when we all have, we start from brand spanking new stuff, but we know the world isn't like that. And we're constantly trying to integrate last generation, next generation, current generation. And of course, that's where the fun comes. Um, But to me, uptime is what we should all be desiring, which is the same level of service for the end user, whether he be a business, whether it be a platform, whether it be an end user. And then we work ourselves back from that because there really is no point in us, industry, uh, obsessing over the center. And remember, data center has two words in it, data and center. And the center is very important, but it only brings us to a stage where we can only really get the magic when we put the data into it. So the disconnect of the old days where I'm sure many of your listeners, oh, I'm in IT, I don't get on that well with facilities. Oh, I'm in facilities, but I don't get on that well from IT. So you had this massive vacuum in the middle. And they forgot that actually the power of them is when they combine facilities and IT, because all they're doing is giving a all the time, always available experience to the end user whether that's an internal end user or an external end user. And I often found that that was always this, oh, well, we hand it over to IT. We hand it over to facilities, when in actual fact, that's what's becoming closer and closer uh, uh, with the advent of as-a-service technology, is you can concentrate on the end user a bit more. So I'd be all about the end user. And obviously, then, that's just my filter on things. When you bring back the when you bring back some of the layers, you've obviously got well your telecoms has a mesh, then your servers have a mesh, and your UPSs have a mesh, and you're this and that and the other. But ultimately, I, I like to concentrate on the dude that's going to ultimately pay the wages, which is <laughs> the guy who pays the, and his experience.
1: Who pays his king, no? That's how it works. I,
0: I, I guess uh, to to a level, but what uh,
1: old form of capitalism but um let's not oh, get into what it takes but you know what's interesting
0: and i i guess we're jumping around slightly but i was with intel recently here in dublin um and they have a a, a division there that's um they're, they're investing in new startups that's what they want they want to identify new startups that they can help and the guy gave me an incredible statistic he said 99 percent of the companies that we see fail or help because of no market need it's quite extraordinary no market need so what that tells us is really in my opinion is that we're not asking enough questions of the end user in advance we're designing and building amazing technological uh, advancements that don't have any user need and therefore when when my, my world was always i asked 10 people if we were to do this would you buy it if we were, and if nine of them out of the ten say, then it's worth your time to invest in the resources. Um, so sometimes you have technological brilliance, but it's like a hammer to, to crack a, uh, a walnut, right?
1: Yeah, true. Um, coming to that, um, so everybody got himself a little gadget during lockdown. What was your lockdown gadget? Oh. For me, was the automatic bulbs at home um but
0: (laughs) oh you're you're really pushing out the boundaries aren't you (laughs) um i i have to say it wasn't necessarily a gadget i just love spotify it just was my savior um why was it my savior i had it a long time but music is just a wonderful thing if you can get into it or poetry whatever you're into because it was we're in a, a a a situation at the moment that none of us have ever experienced anything like it ever And we can't say it's not like i've had a broken arm so i can empathize with somebody else who's had a broken arm this is just an incredibly uh, difficult challenge and i found music brought me back to a great place maybe a better place or listening to podcasts etc so probably not an individual gadget more my alexa here uh, and playing Spotify was just the thing that I, I use, and I use it more and more now. And uh, just as I said, Alexa, she's after propping up. I'm going to have to turn her down because she's listening. Hold on. There you go. But, yeah, Spotify I, I found fantastic.
3: Gary, uh, absolutely. I agree. That's Thomas here. Um, actually, that's… I came up with the with the light bulbs as well. Hui, one thing, but what saved me is Spotify. You will. I have a Spotify playlist that's good to the COVID nineteen or the COVID twenty playlist actually that saved my saved my life. I do it and it developed now. There are one hundred and sixty five songs, you know, and I remember the times when everything was stuck before for the six months. You were running, you were cycling and yeah. every you added a couple of songs because you remembered, and I think it's brilliant, as you said, as a service, as a, and as you said, uh, well, one thing, uh, maybe um, we Paul asked you the questions, but why don't you a little bit uh, introduce yourself and tell me what's your background and where you're coming from, before we go into the details
0: so so i guess i've covered a bit of it i was an absolutely terrible COBOL programmer but i guess if you were to technically <laughs> say i can say i'm a, some form of an engineer but really i, I think i've covered it I, I i like seeking out problems and then seeing how we can find the solution so i found a very uh, uh, a great time to become and this is where the luck came in when i came out COBOL and those programs on the mainframes and mini were uh um the jobs or fixing mainframes but the personal computer just was like the honest to god for my generation and for people like me it was the ipad moment or the iphone moment or the ipod moment it just was that portable mobile device that could be sold in hundreds of millions and it was just empowering end users to do stuff and and it's extraordinary when i look back you know And to think that when we went first with uh, sort of a a PC with a a Excel spreadsheet, people didn't want to accept it because as with now, they thought the PC and the Excel spreadsheet was going to replace them, their job. Whereas the bright ones saw, oh, so I don't have to go through these journals, all of these journals all the time, every day. And if I make one mistake, I have to do it all again. I can actually use it. So in many many ways, what that teaches me, and it's a bit like like um, um, history repeating itself, so much talk about AI, so much talk about robotics, so much talk about this replacing jobs. Look, we've always had technologies and stuff coming through that if we want to look at it that way, we can, but other ways we can say it enhances us. I even look at my father, you know, My father was a laborer. Uh, he was part of a crew that used to dig up roads. And a whisper went out, there is a thing called a 40-man shovel. And it just permeated, a 40-man shovel in the 60s. And, of course, now when we think of this, we think, oh, that's that's so obvious. But they were fearful of their jobs. Of course, the 40-man shovel was a JCB. That was a JCB. But what did my father and his people do? went over and they learned how to maintain the jcb how to drive the jcb how to fit the engines etc etc so so really that was always what i'd like to do let's find problems let's see can we help as we go along and i was lucky i uh got uh, laid off from a job in the early 90s which meant that uh, i had no decision to make Uh, uh networking communications some of your listeners may remember Novell network Microsoft uh, OS 2 LAN manager. We we just had such fun in the 90s connecting up all these personal computers which were personal but then they became networked and when you become networked then you had the embryonics of the internet. Um because you had the intranets in each one of the buildings and you got mo- modems connecting them. And I guess that's really where I started to find my love and I realized I was far less interested in the hardware and more about the magic of the data, what data could do, you know, and data at the time I said earlier about uh, the data being changing people who worked in accounts departments from actually just being drones and putting in info to being able to use the information to make a better, better uh, accountancy department or a business. So that was, the, that was the start of the networking. I sold a few businesses and I think uh, I was asked earlier, so how did host in Ireland start? Well, it's interesting. Because it was a bet it actually was a bet i was on an earnout. out i was uh, in a situation where um you couldn't i couldn't go back into what i loved doing which was systems integration and five of us sat around a table my competitors from the likes of digital realty equinix uh, household names now telecity and uh, i said you know what we should do we should try and get you guys together in a coopetition not set it up as an organization like an association or as a trade association a coopetition could we get you actually to work together park your ego park your balance sheet find common interest and then what we'll do is we'll go and we'll promote ireland as an optimum place to put data you notice i didn't mention servers or data centers data Let's find why anyone would rest data in Ireland. Because if you if you can demonstrate that, then you need a server. If you need a server, you need a rack. If you need a rack and lots of them, you need centers. But if you start with the kernel of the why of the data, you have a great chance because that, so we, we'd evolved and I, I'm sure you know about the Irish story. IBM came here in 1956 first non-North American, uh, 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 factory from that digital equipment corporation. Then you'd, then you'd Nixdorf. then you'd Siemens, then you Dell, then you gateway. So you can see there's an evolution from a punch card back in the day to a floppy disk. And now 20 years later, we're, we're doing it all on fiber. So that was the embryonic to host in Ireland with five guys. Um, I told them that the bet wouldn't be a problem. Uh, to get them to work together. The real magic was getting them to pay me t- to get me to put them together. So that's what, and now we're 30 co co-opetition partners. I love what you said also earlier uh, in your, your training downstairs where you've got the ecosystem starting to work, not just the center people, but the vendors and the data people and the comms people and the government and all that. When you blend that together, that's when you have an optimum ecosystem, not just the people who rest data. So that's really where Hosting Ireland came from. And now we've 800 megawatts of data centers connected in the greater Dublin area with another 800 under development. And uh, that's a lot of data, that's for sure.
2: Excellent. Um, Gary, Tim here. Um, You you said so many things that I actually would like to follow up with. So I, I, I have a hard time uh keeping all those notions together so just first things first gary what's your favorite beer i don't drink anymore that's a funny one isn't
0: it <laughs> I, don't uh, drink, I, dr- I, don't, I don't
2: i don't drink either anymore but uh I we're in drink. a minority here so back, but uh,
0: back in the day it would have been guinness for sure but uh right now um no i don't see the point in non-alcoholic beer so water is my favorite beverage <laughs>
2: excellent pure irish water from the
0: which uh, spring oh you know whatever the tap produces is good enough for me but this one today that i'm drinking is from uh, where is it from tipperary per- tipperary spring water how beautiful
2: okay who has the better water scotland or ireland is that is the-
0: oh Jeannie mac scotland or ireland ah, i'd say it's a one-all draw let's let's be diplomatic
2: Let's be diplomatic, right, okay, so to follow up on, 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 on a couple of things you said, you started out saying that Spotify was your savior, you you talked about how you love um, portable, um, portable uh, gadgets from Apple, and both companies seem to reflect, or at least pretend to reflect, or try to get the image out uh, there, um, that they are actually really people driven, isn't it? and um and, and agile in a way. So um they have quite a lot in common with your approach, I'd say. And um you also you also seem to be still a systems integrator in some way, even if you don't wear that title anymore. You integrate different parts and you are you are doing things because you have a, a broad knowledge rather than a very microscopic in-depth knowledge. So these are all things that I think uh, will become important in the future, or already becoming very important, um, yeah. especially for for the digital transformation that of which large parts lie still ahead of us. Um, so you're, I think you're right, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so, in terms of in terms of, um, in terms of uh, um, your your approach I've read uh, I've done a bit of research I've read that you are um, a a tech optimist and we haven't had many tech pessimists here on the uh, on the podcast yet naturally Um, but what do you think is the biggest threat to the tech industry uh, currently I I think this
0: okay there's a few things there so yes I'm absolutely a digital optimist I think that when we weigh up uh, digital or data: the positives and the negatives, and there are always both, right? I give a talk where I talk about data, a weapon of mass distraction, and a, a weapon of mass innovation, and it's a constant balance, isn't it? Between depending on whether you want to 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 gravitate toward the positivity that the that data gives us, where we've got you know, surgeons in Tokyo doing hologram surgery on a guy in Ireland, or whether we want to go down into that black hole of, of trolls and fake news and stuff. So we have to be realistic about, you know, like all new innovation. It is the steam, however, Tim, and this is the important thing. And I think I, I, we, we're in our fourth industrial revolution. It's well defined, it's well chronicled, and it's easy to understand. It started way back in the 1700s when we invented steam. And steam drove innovation. It drove pistons. It, drove, it made the world a smaller place. So we go through the different other two in the middle. So what's the current steam for the current industrial revolution? It's data. Data is the catalyst. So therefore, when I look at uh, what data is doing, then I have to say, you ask me, what's the greatest challenge? Well, I think the greatest challenge right now, and it will continue to be, isn't innovation, isn't the as-a-service platforms that we are giving supercomputer power to young children in Namibia with a web browser. I mean, that's just awesome, right? That's just mind-boggling incredible that a dude in Namibia can pair up with a guy in delhi and they can use the platforms that are now available as a service and create something magical that's not going to be innovation is not going to be our challenge keeping the data secure safe and building in privacy by design and security by design is going to be our greatest challenge when you consider tim that right now we have anywhere between 15 and 20 billion things connected on what we call the connected planet by the end of this decade there is anticipated we'll have a trillion a trillion things all connected to this thing that let's be honest has organically grown bit here bit there you know so therefore what's our greatest challenge it's not going to be the things it's not going to be the data it probably won't be the centers because as far as I can see, the centers are both getting more efficient in their consumption of electrons and they're now driving that the electrons have to be green. So I think that will work itself out. However, what happens in 2030 when we've got this beautiful, for the purpose of this show and our discussion, let's call it a utopia, closer to a utopia than a dystopia. And some little shit hacks in To the electrical system of the democratic state of Germany. Christ, it's not a good day for anybody, right? So, therefore, I think that is everything we do in all aspects of where we are in the supply and food chain of the digital transformation. Let's always have security by design and uh, uh, security by design and protection by design inherently built in because we're part of the solution we're part of the good guys and uh, i so that's all i think is is the biggest challenge because god everywhere you look now I, i think i counted yesterday we we nearly have 39 devices in our house now connected
2: 39 devices 39 devices i i haven't counted mine but um so, so
0: i hope i, I answered the question about our greatest challenge uh, i think it's security and privacy
2: yeah in, yeah you you you, you yeah. did answer the question and you actually gave me a uh, um, material for a follow-up in terms of uh, privacy uh, uh, or privacy no how do you pronounce it privacy Pr- privacy is designed
0: Pri- privacy uh, security by design is stopping the bad guys getting in at your data
2: mm.
0: privacy by design is making sure the good guys
2: don't mess around with it. Excellent. Yeah, I'm see, we, 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 we've learned something. I'm glad I asked a question. Next, <laughs> next one. Um, we now have the Covid app in the UK uh, yeah. uh, from the NHS. Not sure uh, what's going on in Ireland. So I'm, I'm just basically asking you how, yeah. how far more advanced are you over there, guys?
0: Well, well, I think it's all, It's it, it seems to be like a harmonica at the moment. We're going out and we're going back and we're going out and we're going back. But we actually have, would you believe, we've had uh, the Tracking Tracing app uh, for over three, six months now. And only yesterday was our the, the Irish product was um, taken on in America. The New York uh, uh, mayor, I think, announced that he's using the Irish product as their product. So I think not when you're in Boston. In New York, okay. in New York, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we're an island. Uh, we have uh, um, obviously closed, aviation is mostly closed. Um, what is really interesting, and it's, it's, it's a good link in, only yesterday they announced uh, how is Ireland's economy doing. And uh, it's interesting because we are the only state now, EU, for the first three quarters, that is showing a plus on the GDP export. Why? Digital services and pharmaceuticals. And it's quite extraordinary and it's a wonderful thing. And I'd like to do a shout out for all of the people that are listening that are in the infrastructure space because the day that globally this industry was recognized by most states as essential workers I really thought it was a great, great day for a lot of the people. I work on the industry. I don't work in it. But, you know, this industry in general, whether it's merited or not, get beaten up a lot, get beaten up regularly. How how do you
2: mean beaten up?
0: You know, uh, oh, that's great and all, but the carbon overhead and the footprint and you're using too much electricity and you're really not creating any jobs and you're not creating this. When in actual fact, this is, as I said earlier, this industry is creating, retaining, distributing and storing the steam of the Industrial Revolution. So we could turn it another way and say without it, there is nothing, particularly right now, when you consider that this is all digital and everything else is digital. Uh, I I think that people who have been in the trenches for 15 years that are on this call should take a real bow. Um, um, And now when they go to dinner parties rather than putting their hands over their mouths to say they work in the data center industry, they can say we keep the lights on and we wouldn't be having this call, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, another thing is a a nice comparison. What, um, What I like to use is that I compare data centers to the sort of the lungs of society because it's the beating heart that we require. If you, I mean... I mean, we're quite sort of, I, I, I myself, I live in London. So beginning of lockdown, um, sitting at home, all of a sudden the internet was gone for 40, 48 hours. Um, we, we're, in the, we're in the 21st century here, and you, you're living in one of the biggest cities in the world, and everything is normally up to the top standards. And, well, it's just everything got to the limit. I mean, with the guys from DKICS, uh, one of the biggest cyber cyber internet knots in the world, Speaking to them with them as a guest three days ago. Ago tomorrow, Thomas King is coming to speak about Gaia X. But even them, they're saying yes. It, there was a lot of data going through our data centers and all the knots. And if you look at it today, we have a lot of people. Many times we have discussed already when it comes to data, which is one of your favorite topics. It's like let's just take it a little bit further. Okay, um, data centers, data. People use the mobile phone. Well, the next thing is that. Everybody wants the car to drive by themselves. Well, we don't even have the infrastructures in order to live our normal life as we live right now that we can secure that. um, Like you said, let's say a doctor would do a surgery from Japan with a hologram with a guy in Ireland. Well, I would tell you probably it's quite risky because the chance that your connection is going to drop at some point is quite high. So I think that there's still so much more attention that needs to be put into data centers and especially the industry and the people that work behind it and they need the support from the government and from all the entities and not like we see it a lot in germany i mean frankfurt is the best example so frankfurt data centers at the moment it's like mushrooms in the forest right i mean they're popping up on every single street corner but then we have a green party political party which is saying well the data centers carbon footprint you're destroying the environment um, then the next one is then you have the real estate people. They're saying because data centers are buying up space in the center of the cities, so that are hiking up the prices. And I just I agree with you hundred percent. The people that work in this industry are just not recognized enough. And yeah, and I agree in part.
0: And I, I I've been through um, some of these revolutions, if we want to call it before. But it's all about the messaging. It's all about the internal messaging. And I think as I said earlier. I go to events and I speak at quite a lot of events, data center events. And I have to be honest, I, I, I think that the, the level of knowledge by the people who are building the infrastructure, the data, the, sorry, the centers of the value of the data that are going through their centers, they, they, they really don't even themselves comprehend that they are, the ox- they are providing the vessels for the oxygen of the current world. So when they talk, they talk a lot about PUE efficiencies, free air cooling, hot aisles, cold aisles. That's wonderful. I get it. It's wonderful. But when I'm a policymaker or I'm somebody who is trying to see the value, when I'm talking about data centers, for instance, next week I do a talk, I'll be talking about the amount of energy that's been saved by the Nest thermostat over the last two years because anywhere you've got smart in front of a device, you have a data center behind it. So if you want to talk to people who are obsessing now about smart cities, smart cars, smart thermostats, smart smart, and they talk about it as if they understand it. Well the reality is it's on the, the device is only a piece of hardware. Without the data and the center behind it, you don't see the magic. So when I'm talking, I'll be saying, "Okay, let's look at the data center like a cornfield. Now, if I walk down and I look at a cornfield and I look at it waving in the autumn breeze, I don't think there's very much going on with the cornfield and the until I realize when that cornfield then is made into bread, it feeds the population. So we need to communicate in a different language. the The centers are important the data are the magic and if we can commun- communicate a bit more about well what do you do it's a bit like sorry i jumping around i don't know if you know this story it's one of my favorite ones it's jfk is in uh um houston and the guys are getting ready to put man on the moon and he he, he uh has said we will put a man on the moon by the, the end of this decade and he's in the toilet and the janitor comes and he starts cleaning the floor and he looks at the janitor and he said oh that's great you're doing great what do you do here by the way and the janitor said i am putting a man on the moon mr president isn't that just amazing
2: that's a good that's a good uh, self-perception and, right i wh- definitely what... a good lesson in terms of uh, valuing um uh, yourself uh in in what you do and uh I don't know if you know the notion "bullshit job." Uh, let's not get into the definition, but um, it sounds it's, like something good now. No, it's basically, it's basically, it's basically someone saying um, it's a, it's a professor. He died recently. He said it's basically a job where you feel that what you do has no impact, uh, beneficial impact whatsoever. Uh, nevertheless, you're highly paid. You're highly. Uh, You go to dinner parties and say proudly what you do, but uh, you just don't see the value in it. And uh, maybe uh, data center jobs are actually the the opposite of of a bullshit job, but they just don't know it. So um, what you said, I I 100% agree. And Um, therefore, these platforms and opportunities for me and others
0: to speak mm -hmm. uh, is wonderful because genuinely we're all so busy. People are busy. Um, And therefore, what I'd like uh, us to talk about is that when people are asked, what do you do, you we find an equivalent of I'm putting a man on the moon, Mr. President. (laughs) So when somebody says to you, what do you do? You say, I'm going to stream the Netflix show to your house tonight because that's what you're doing or your child tomorrow when they go to school or if they don't go to school and they're using meats. That's what I do and 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 you will get people immediately to buy in rather
2: than well i put racks in
0: server rooms and they're very efficient
2: (laughs) excellent yeah just one thing before tom before tom uh, jumps in with his follow-up the nest thermometer for the guys who don't know is a smart thermostat Thermostat, not thermometer. The thermometer is a, is something slightly. Other. It's a smart uh, thermostat that went to market in 2011, so nine years ago, and now it comes. The device is based on a machine learning algorithm. So. I didn't know about all this stuff nine years ago and it's it's already out there and uh gary you're implying that data center is using this uh, already so no my, my what i'm implying is
0: is that it uses an ai algorithm that's resident in a data center to make it more efficient and right. therefore there's been 50 billion watts saved of energy because of algorithms in a data center
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
0: if we really want to get into it, we should have a ready reckoner where we can offset all the energy used in the center against all the savings. But that's not the business we're yeah. in.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely right. And 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 again, it's it's gone to market nine years ago. So, yeah, yeah. and we only just start. Well, not only just, but the the conversation about impact of AI in data center is not as old. So we've started talking about that years after this thing went to market. And, and that's hilarious, isn't it? But Tim, Tim, the savings of
0: energy associated with a reduction of the energy into a center is minuscule, even if we become the most optimum efficient 50% reduction to the value of the energy and carbon saved by what the data is doing out in the real world. You know, the thermos that we spoke about is 50 billion watts saving from one device. right. So what we have to start thinking about is data centers right now, according to the latest facts, are responsible for 1% of global electricity usage. Responsible for 0.25% of the carbon. Why? Because 80% of the dudes that are buying it are the biggest buyers of renewable energy. However, how much is that one percent as i say everything's smart i just got a smart meter in my house here in ireland and and it says it on the tin this smart meter will reduce the carbon overhead and energy efficiency of our grid it's only smart because of a data center so these are the uh, it was said a heart or a lung or a, a whatever but i don't think that's fully understood even within the community. Because we're so busy putting the racks in, putting the PUEs in, putting the stuff in, so data is the magic. And if we start thinking that way, uh, um, I think great things will continue to happen, and and we will put a man on the moon or the equivalent. <laughs> um, we
3: are uh, we are running a training company, uh, and we have students down there. Just last week, we, um, as you might know, we had the topic of lack of talent in the industry. But even if we have people here at our trainings basically um, I, I would say it's a lack of awareness of the industry yeah uh, the data center industry and the value we really create but even think about it we have people there that have a job they come to our trainings and obviously we go out we communicate we socialize and uh, I'm 51 last week I had a guy, there's is, is a way to really basic, basic, basic training. It was, and uh, we have a ritual, we say, um, the guy who is the youngest in the group, guy or girl, has to pour in the wine. Yeah, we are in Frankfurt here, the apple wine. I say, how old are you? And this guy was 19.
2: <laughs> mm.
3: But these guys, um, they don't even realize about the value, uh, what's created in this industry. And there I completely agree about that. We have to come with a kind of initiative. You know, I, I do it person to person. I tell them, look, I grew up um, basically in 1996. We came up with the first uh, as a service. This was fax as a service, you know. And yeah. uh, I come back to a thing like you said. What was the biggest threat? There are people that, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. There were fax administrators sitting mm. on the earth. That was my biggest enemy to sell my service, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I see the same way as you see it. My glass is always half full, you know? And that's what uh, I try to deliver the message to these young guys out there and say, look, if you go in this industry now, you will for sure have a job. Um, it's not a threat. Technology is not a threat. You can have you have to use it to your um, to your benefit, as we do it now. We have a Zoom session. We have a podcast, and um, this is yeah. That's still a challenge. And my question, Gary, is um, especially about Ireland. I've been to Dublin. I've been to uh, of course to Guinness. Uh, we had great time there at your place, uh, the Green Place. Um, how is it basically you have any initiatives up there in Ireland um, that you have enough talent to run the industry as you're the host of that
0: do you know it's a great question because the creation retention and attraction of talent globally to the to one of the fastest growing industries and accelerated even further due to the pandemic is not easy however Tom, and it's a great question. What we are seeing, and I think this will be, um, you know, hunger is a great sauce. Have you heard that saying? Where, um, So there is no time to bring through talent through phases, six phases. But what it is happening is people are skipping, and, and I think Tim mentioned it. They're skipping, and now they're really deep diving into algorithms. How can we use the people we have To coach people who can code, who can create algorithms that can, if you want to look at it, replace the mundane day-to-day stuff that we're doing, which is going to happen anyway. But let's go up the stack so that ultimately when we go up the stack, then we have what we need to have is, and it's going to sound, and I hope it doesn't sound too badly, but we need to eliminate the greatest risk in this whole thing, and that's people. If you look at any charts in any industry and you look at why X, Y, and Z happened, you'll probably find a person did something. (laughs) You know, a person didn't put a patch lead or a person didn't do a patch or a person didn't do the machine operated the way the machine was told to operate. So because what we are part of, I work on it, a lot of these listeners work in it, we need to get to the stage where we can uh, um, not be seen as the, the, the most obvious place that's going to cause the problem. And I think algorithms and machine learning and stuff like that, you see it in the in other industries. If you look at the DHL and you look at one of their distribution centers or Amazon or Alibaba or one of these places that has got huge employment, the production line area, the warehouse area, is nearly people less. It's all bots. It's all stuff. It's all moving. Data centers probably are going to move to that type of environment. But that doesn't mean it's reducing the jobs. It's actually increasing the jobs because you got to have more people in the background. Absolutely, Gary. I 100% agree. And uh, you
3: haven't seen one of my presentations. But just for when I do the introduction, for we have, for example, a 5D training. What's the the biggest uh, caution for uh, a failure in the data center? It's human error, you know? It's, uh, however you define it, it might be even a design error,
0: yeah? But it's the human being. And that's not unique to the data center industry. (laughs) That's just why we are, we're flawed. We're a flawed, very complex machine ourselves, but we're flawed. But um, in there lies great opportunity, right?
3: Absolutely, but on the other hand, actually, we had on an episode about I think fourteen days ago, uh, with the, referring to the upta, the latest uptime study, uptime institute study, is that we are having more downtime than we had before, and you know why this that because we have to control the machines. It's getting more and more complicated, and do getting up the, the people up to speed, and this is where I, I'm referring to what you said. See that. As a challenge, like, like um, you gave the example with your father, when when uh, it came, this is not a threat, it's an opportunity, and I think this has to be the message here, you know, and um, there's a lot of
0: things in... in we, we, can- cer- we certainly don't have, uh, unless uh, somebody on the call does, a some sort of a crystal ball into the future, but honestly, we can learn so much from the past, why... Because human nature hasn't changed that much in the last thousand years. (laughs) And people, unfortunately, repeat the same mistakes. So what we need, in my opinion, to do is to look at what other industries. uh, You know, this is not the first mission critical industry that was ever on the planet. Aviation is a pretty mission critical industry. You know, there's an awful lot to be learned from there. You know, compared to the amount of air miles that they have had in the last 100 years, the amount of crashes is quite incredible. And um, don't be afraid to embrace other industries. Don't be afraid to look at other ways of doing things. Um, but it's true. It's true. Uh, you know, there's what is it they say that uh, if you don't disrupt yourself, somebody else will come and disrupt you, yourself for you. So um, there's no doubt that. Uh, but I also think the messaging. Right. Right. Um, you are part of the oxygen of the planet or you're part of, you know, I, I think uh, um, Paul said it earlier in one of his his previous questions. There is no digital economy and there is no economy anymore. There's just the economy and it's all about digital. <laughs> you know, when you look at ag tech and you look at retail and you look at everything now, it's all digital. It's all digital. And therefore, um the I uh, get back to what what uh, we we spoke about, Tim. The most important thing is going to be the integrity of that data, and then that food chain. Wow, what an opportunity!
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, also, I have two or three remarks. Um, maybe you agree uh, on on the on, on the thing you said about you know in the future, even data centers will be almost completely completely optimized, and, and jobs will disappear, and other jobs will be created, which leads me actually to say, and it's not from me, why do we always try to protect jobs rather than people, right? Why do we try to protect, uh, say, well, that's another industry, but why do we protect or try to protect the job? Uh, being at the at the, at the, at the cash counter in a supermarket why do we need to protect it i'm sorry to say but it's a boring job unless you really enjoy it but that's maybe 10% of those doing the job so instead of protecting that particular job shouldn't we just move to and and that will become in my opinion uh, important to the to the data centers so just, just saying hey guys this job has become um, replaceable but you with your skill set and your mindset are valuable to us still why don't you learn xyz and this is the option and it ties in with so many notions about uh, so many notions we mentioned earlier with people driven business people driven uh, uh, approaches agile approaches and uh, another buzzword maybe lifelong learning as well my question is do you think that the industry as such is is ready for that do you think that we 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 are we are ready the people that are working in this in the industry um are ready for this and what maybe a couple of bullet points if you wish so maybe and what do we need to get there what do what concrete measures would you if you were a policymaker what concrete measures would you implement in order to get there okay there's a lot in there um, sorry for evolution that.
0: I think evolution and disruption is constant that's the first thing um, that, that that we have to understand uh I said earlier about when we look back 10 11 years well 20 years and we think that people thought they were going to lose a job because of a spreadsheet and now we look at it and we say God it makes our jobs or major jobs so much easier and um, We need to be careful when we walk on these types of grounds because change is not always accepted by people the way we'd like it, but it's even though it's a constant, that's what Darwin decided was the evolution of people, evolution of man. Change has to be managed. And if I look at the people that are succeeding right now and education systems around the world and how we're teaching people to learn specific things for an exam, and then they never have to use it again. When you've got Google search and stuff, knowledge has very little value anymore. Real knowledge. You know, the guy you rang up to say, you know the answer, 1946, who scored the winning goal in the World Cup final? And you knew the guy. Now you just Google it, right?
2: So if if knowledge- Yeah, yeah. If knowledge Definitely, I is- uh, just just one thing that that's that's actually funny that you say that because uh, sorry for interrupting, but it's funny that you say that real knowledge has lost its value, and paradoxically, useless knowledge that you can bring on in social situations has has gained in value somehow, so, so right? So let's agree, not fight it. Let's
0: agree that that is becoming more of a fact, right? So therefore, what we need to do then is say, okay, well, if that is a fact, that's great for so many people who aren't really intelligent. Would you agree that they have information on their fingertips? Right. Then what we should be doing is, okay. well, if that knowledge, then when I look at my own young teenage children, what we're trying to teach them is application becomes the key thing. Apply yourself. So apply yourself. If knowledge is is sort of being reduced to a key, keyboard, Google search, then the ability to apply yourself and focus is going to be the number one thing, and is also going to be your your you know what was the name of the guy Buffett said it many times. Uh, intelligence, application, and honesty are the three things that we look for in our people in Berkshire Hathaway and if they don't have honesty you can forget about the other first two and i think that's going to become a really important aspect of people and industries can i trust them you asked about governments i tend not to comment at all in any shape about governments they have a difficult job it's a populist job and i won't comment either about the irish or anywhere else because it's just an area that uh I think it gets people into more trouble than it does anything else. But I think our educational system, um, as we are moving towards AI knowledge, isn't got the same premium as it once had. Then it's about the application of that knowledge. And also, let's look at a spreadsheet of 1980s, like an AI algorithm of today. It's a tool. That's all it is, a tool. But because we've got these tools and they're already ready to be bound together, everybody can be an entrepreneur. You can take that piece and this piece and bind it together and make something better. So I don't think, I think that uh, um, it's just a natural evolution of the worker, the natural evolution of the workplace. Um, And getting back to the data center industry. There's no doubt that algorithms and stuff that's very manual driven is going to be replaced by people who are working in network operating centers more of managing the algorithms to make sure that we then have got the right key performance uh, uh, information um or maybe they'll get into data security or maybe they will get into data privacy or maybe they'll get into other aspects of the data stack um because you know what there's an awful lot of people working on combustion engines right now, cars. They're going to have to learn quickly to how to fix electric vehicles.
2: It's all evolution. Beautiful words. Uh, I, I do agree. I do agree on, on many points. Um, I'm... I'm out of questions for now. So perhaps if Paul and Tom want to ask uh, some other ones, otherwise, perhaps one last. We've talked a lot about people. Maybe it's time to talk about locations a little bit. You're uh, the founder of Hosting Ireland. Is is there anything you want to state in terms of locations? Uh, Maybe provocatively (laughs) asked. you know, it's a great, yes. question. it's a it's a great question. And I, I,
0: do you know, do you know what date we are now entering an era? We've covered quite a lot in this call and I've enjoyed it greatly, but we are getting to the stage where we're nearly able to say we've got fit for purpose compute storage and distribution. You know, I mean, we've looked at mainframes and mini computers and personal computers and local area networks and we nearly, as an industry and global evolution, we were nearly saying, "Here is the to the end user and the person who's going to use it. Here is the solution. Now, take it or lump it." <laughs> all right. Now we have, we've got uh, technologies from uh, innovative technologies that we could put at the edge. We can put in your house. We can put in a the top of a um, a traffic control system in Duisburg, and it can be doing all that type of stuff. So I think what's going to happen now is that the world is going to have data centers. It's going to be like a Russian doll. You know the way you've got a Russian doll and you've got a smaller one and a smaller one and a smaller one inside, inside, inside?
2: Yeah, babushka, they're called, or something like that.
0: Okay, right. Well, sounds right. So you basically are going to have data centers everywhere. You saw yesterday, fantastic, Greece, billion dollars. Microsoft, why? Because they need and want to provide the same level of service to a Greek purchaser. We got back to that earlier about mission critical to somebody in Italy, to somebody in Poland, to somebody in Ireland. What we have in Ireland is, is, and what's happened, when we talk about Ireland, uh, it's just an evolution, genuinely. It's absolutely an evolution. I said it earlier, we got IBM in the 60s, And now we find ourselves where we have a very large cluster um, of data centers, 800 megawatts of it. And the success of our retention going forward will be no different to the retention of anywhere else. It'll be our ability to harvest. We've eight times more renewable energy in and around Ireland than we can ever consume ourselves, ever. We've got the Atlantic, we've got the Irish Sea, we've got oodles of it so we now unlike other generations we weren't in the oil industry we weren't really in the gas industry we weren't in the gold uh, industries we are now find ourselves geographically where we've got eight to ten times more renewable energy than we can ever ever use ourselves what's the optimum thing to do with that look at it like a natural resource look at the value associated in the economic and job multipliers associated with harvesting an electron, putting it into a data center and exporting it as a very valuable asset, which is data. So that's going to be our evolution. Um, as I say, that the, the, there's an awful lot of other geographic areas, you know, the further north you go up, they have wonderful uh, abundances of electricity. But not all data is the same. I think we've talked about that. The data that stops a car crashing into a wall in Duisburg with an autonomous vehicle is not the same data that can sit up in the top of Montreal to be used for data mining. So what we have to, again, it all goes back to the story of data. What's the data? Not all data is the same. Some is immediate, some is glacial. And ultimately, then what we do is we are at the fit for purpose where the right hardware can sit where the appropriate uh, uh, software and people are.
2: So is, is that your way of looking at, at it? Um, is it? I mean, it's quite a traditional way of looking at, 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 at data, right? Uh, economically speaking, of just saying an electron is the raw material. We do value creation. We transform it and then we export it as, as data. It, as if I take a piece of wood, I make it a chair, I sell it, and the added value goes into my pocket and those who have worked with me and, and all that. Uh, um, do you know? I, I find that quite an interesting point, look, or maybe you could elaborate if I didn't get it right. No, no
0: you're, you're spot on, but the difference is, and, and, and we're we're in the industry, we expect people to understand that something that's not physical is valuable. You've just described a a chair. I call it a floppy disk. In in 2000, Ireland was the largest exporter of software in the world, bar none. We had the largest software industry in the world, bar none. Why? Because we were localizing all the international software for Oracle and for BAN and for Microsoft. And we exported floppy disks. And it was everybody was rubbing their hands. They could physically see it. You put a box into 40,000 of them into a 40 foot container. And you put the 40 foot container into a ship and you shipped it out and everybody's jumping up and down. Now we've got these gray nondescript boxes. I mean, what's that all about, yeah? So what we have to do is we now have to educate people to say that the floppy disk on steroids is a data center. The value of the software that sits on a floppy disk, Microsoft Word, Excel, now as, an, as a service server, we export it, people pay for it, it comes back in. And that's the whole idea that, that we would see our evolution would be that the raw material is green electrons that feeds into creating green photons, which is Spotify, Netflix, etc., And it's a real product. And that's the mental bit that we, we as an industry don't communicate because we're all still talking about PUEs.
3: <laughs>
0: Absolutely, Gary.
3: Uh, great. And I think uh, I would bring a little bit back to the point. Um, I've been in the training business now for 15 years. And uh, I would say, if not already, a data center is a commodity. A data center is not rocket science. It's the center- about... It's about the data. And uh, you talked about it. I will repeat you. And uh, I want to get more ideas from you and and, and grab your brain a little bit. You say that uh, security by design about the data. How are we going to
0: achieve that? So what's your plan? We're not going to get bogged down in, in it now. But remember that the GDPR fabric that was announced two years ago, is an evolving fabric. It's just like soccer in the 1800s was 15 against 15, and now it has evolved, and every week it seems to change its rules. GDPR is the basic fabric that we can now move on and we can have precedent against policy by design, privacy by design, security by design, and have real teeth fines for people that don't comply with it. That's the key thing, is that we cannot have these policies in place and allow people to say, oh yeah, well, yeah, get away with it, no problem. We need teeth because if there's anything that we know, is there's going to be more data. If there's anything that we know, there's going to be more data in more places. If there's anything that we know, where we put people in, as we've spoken before, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be things. And unfortunately, back in the day when you lost your notebook in a taxi, it probably only affected you and your spreadsheets and stuff. Now it could be the back door into your electrical system and tear it down. So we have a duty of care to each other, a bit like COVID right now. We have a duty of care to each other to just listen to the science, try and understand, and let's do the best thing we can in the best order and repeat it. Because I think ultimately um, it all goes back to data. And as I said earlier, data is a weapon of mass invention, but it can also be a weapon of mass distraction. And somewhere along the line, we're going to have to find, but it's evolving, it's evolving. I, I, I may have said on this call, but I said it recently. I taught my daughter how to drive during lockdown. And it was quite extraordinary to teach someone how to drive who had got incredibly, did really, really well in the theory test, really well. And then I had to, and she came, she got a big swagger, and she came out and she came out to the car and she said, Dad, yeah, I got a hundred out of a hundred in my theory, you know. And I said, okay, tell me where the clutch is. Huh? Tell me where the clutch is and where the pedal is for the break. So we got to bring people along <laughs> a bit like your training. You know, there's a theory and a practice. Um, and I think it's for us maybe who have seen stuff before in other industries to realize that this is not the first mission critical industry that ever was put in the earth. The, and, app- and, and, the, applica- and, the application, and, and we, we're now moving to the stage where knowledge We've talked through. No, I can be the most. I can be more knowledgeable now than Einstein just by having a Google here in front of me. I can tell you all the stuff. So, therefore, it's about application, and I'm sure you cover that in your uh, courses as well. It doesn't matter how and what you know; it's all about your application. Can you apply the knowledge? So, we know that data is exploding. We know that data is going to be everywhere. So intrinsically in our it's a great question yeah so maybe we could put it into the the memorandum of association of all companies that they must sign some sort of a ethical thing to keep your data safe from the baddies and don't mess around with, with the goodies but i think i'm in a utopia now i don't think that's going to happen <laughs> great. i think gary absolutely uh to remind us i think a great closing
3: word. And uh, we could talk about security by design and data. I think
0: that should be a new episode. Paul, what do you think?
1: Um, I definitely think Gary needs to come back. Oh, bring, um, me
0: back. Bring, bring me back.
1: Bring me back. Let some water go under the bridge
0: and we'll, we'll uh, we'll see how this one goes, but it's been fun. And thank you so much, gentlemen, for uh, asking some great questions. It's been a, a trip down memory lane for me. I even thought about my father and a JCB, which is the first time in, <laughs> forever so i i but i but i think it's great i think it's, it's i think it's an industry that has only started i read yesterday the idc have said that there's 30 20 billion devices in the world right now it's going to be a trillion by the end of 2030 a trillion things oh, what an opportunity well you can look at it like an opportunity um but i i i, I it's been fun thank you so much all of you um uh, for asking me on and and i hope i've haven't waffled too much
1: no it was absolutely great just one closing thing i want to ask you why do you think ireland is the greatest country in the world oh because of the irish <laughs> okay perfect the irish so... are from, right huh the irish
0: are from bavaria right the celts originated <laughs> so you can so we can actually um we can say that it's not even the irish it's the welsh and it's the scottish and it's the what of that gang, the Catalans, down in in uh, Barcelona, and the, but, so anywhere that we've settled, we've always caused trouble.
1: <laughs> but uh, Thomas, um, I guess the Irish Celts didn't take the beer with them from Bavaria, so that's why the Irish beer is not as good as the Bavarian beer. We, but that's a different conversation. Maybe listen, <laughs> we,
0: listen, we had to give you one thing that you were going to be good at: that and soccer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, and yeah. cars cars maybe and, Come cars. On. and cars and cars, cars. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah but of course we don't Gary, do, we're not going to drive cars anymore we're all going to be on little electric scooters
2: yeah that that'd be fun that'd be fun get, or, or Gary, you take you,
1: your motorola and call scotty to beam you back up hey i get my motorola razor <laughs> i'll find it now yeah. sorry tim you had a question
2: yeah, is it still a thing to speak Gaelic in, in Ireland? or uh...
0: Do you know we do it as a, a academic language in school? Right. We do it in school as an academic language, but no, it's not spoken bar certain areas called the Gaeltacht, which are in, ge- you know, Ireland's a small place, you know, but in geographic areas on the West Coast, they still day-to-day speak it, but our national commonly spoken is... Uh, English. thank And and thank you for speaking English, gentlemen, because I honestly, my German only extends to ordering two beers at a bar.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so
2: much, Gary. So it's pretty much useless, isn't it? (laughs) It's pretty much useless.
3: Oh, oh, that's the most important word.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. So thanks a million. Good lads. and, And I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Wow, Tim. I mean, Gary, that guy. I mean, I, I mean, wow. I, speechless, speechless. I mean, the best part was when I was like, "What makes Ireland the best country?" I knew he's going to say this, but of course, you have to ask every Irish man. I mean, or Irish lady. Uh, obviously, the answer is going to be, "Well, it's the Irish." But um, yeah, it was really great. I, I really loved how he spoke about all these topics and especially the way he looks at data, the way he looks at data centers, the way he looks at the entire ecosystem, the way he just looks... I mean, the way he looks at everything. I mean, it's just... Um, I mean, fantastic person, I'm very humble, very nice, very open and very knowledgeable. I mean, yeah. Um, I hope he's a speaker next year at the, at the Data Center World or the Cloud Expo or the Big Data and AI Summit or it's just... I mean... People like him, they're just they're, they're the pillars of this
2: industry. That's yeah. how I see it. Even though he says he's not working in the industry, he's working on it. Another uh, difference he he taught us today, um, because you're you're actually quite quick to say, yeah, I work in this industry, but perhaps you're working on the industry. I think I don't know if we can make linguistically speaking that, that difference in German. But, um, yeah, anyways, let's not, not get uh, too much into it. Uh, I already said what I what I learned from this uh, podcast. I hope you learned a lot as well. Um, and we look forward to the next one. Do you know which the next guest will be in the next episode, Paul? Do you like to announce? The- who, who will be the next guest? Yeah.
1: Um, no, I think we keep it up for surprise. I mean, the pipeline is filling up, that's all I can say. And we have so many interesting topics out there, and I think it's really great. A lot of people reaching out to us, a lot of organizations, a lot of our partners. Um, tomorrow morning, we're going to be recording an episode in Asia. That's also something new. So, um, yeah, the, the, the uptime punks are going around the world, and, I mean, it's great. I mean, Tim, I looked yesterday at the stats, to be honest, and we have listeners in
2: Russia. Dude. I don't know; it
1: comes from the Kremlin, but I'm just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, we like have
2: pe- like Gary said, like in yeah, somebody <laughs> down, somebody tapped in from the US. Yeah, so who knows and tapping into their call? Then, we, uh, had, people- then I, we had. I don't mind people tapping in in my call or or in our podcast. Really,
1: uh, it's fine. But I think it's quite interesting because we also um we have some subscribers from um, Fiji. I mean. I mean, either the VPN did some companies have really good VPN while they're downloading the the podcast. But I think it's interesting because you see how we're nurturing the industry and people are really absorbing the information we're putting out there. So um, big request again from our side. If you guys have any interesting topics, whatever it is, um, we're normally, you can look us up on LinkedIn, send us a message, give us a shout, be like, hey, I have a really cool story. And, yeah, we would love to have you guys on board here as a guest because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect uh, all the dots for everybody that works somehow on or in the industry. And saying that, um, I would like to thank everybody for listening and hope you'll be at the next episode. Um, please click subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, um, Potbean, uh, where else are we, uh, Apple Music, I mean, quite a lot of stuff anyhow. But yeah, keep a positive mind and stay negative. That's what I would say.
2: See you next time, guys. Or here. See you next time. Bye. Bye.